We always have so many things to tell our audience about here at Intelligence Squared, so when I'm needing a top-down view of it all, I don't want to feel like I'm looking at organized chaos. That's why I really love Notion, which lays out different threads of work in a beautifully designed layout, and despite all of its clever AI tech going on in the background, it feels as clear and easy as putting pen to paper. Remember that? But with Notion, you can do a lot more than jot down a few thoughts. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. And thanks to its AI-powered model, the way it works is so intuitive, every question has an answer. I still love my paper notebook, but sitting next to Notion, it might need to up its game a little bit. Try Notion for free and up your game too when you go to notion.com squared. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com squared, lowercase. So you can start turning ideas into action. And when you use the link, you're supporting Intelligence Squared too. That's notion.com slash squared. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, I'm Linda Yu, economist broadcaster and the author of The Great Economists, How Their Ideas Can Help Us Today. Welcome to this week's Intelligence Squared podcast. You can sign up for regular updates about podcasts and other events at intelligencesquared.com. I'm here with Jesse Norman, MP for Hereford and South Herefordshire, and author of Adam Smith, What He Thought and Why It Matters. So, Jesse, we have to start with why Adam Smith? Well, uh, Linda, uh, you will know this as well as I do, probably better, having written a book about the great economists yourself. I start with Adam Smith as well. I should immediately say. No, no, exactly. Um, I mean, why Smith? Uh, it, not because... Uh, there was no economics before Adam Smith because there was a lot of economics before Adam Smith. And if you think about names like Josiah Tucker or William Petty or Richard Cantillon or even John Law um, uh, or any of the great uh, uh, figures of um, the 17th and early 18th century, uh, there was a lot of economic thinking going on and a lot of thinking about money in different ways. Uh, but Smith, everything changes with Smith. And that's because Smith is the first economist to put markets and market exchange at the center of what he called political economy. And when he does that, he makes a move that has structured economics um, for every generation subsequently. And it's not just the genius of that move, but it's also the plethora of ideas that Smith gathers uh, into the wealth of nations, his great work of 1776, uh, and uh, the extraordinary breadth of his uh, economic understanding that I think has made such a difference as we think about his influence today. I would completely agree with that. Um, as I mentioned, my book also starts with Adam Smith. He's known as the father of economics because, as you say, there were those who were talking about how the economy was constituted, like the physiocrats um, in France, who were very keen on agriculture as the means for a country to become prosperous. But it was really Adam Smith. And as he observed the beginnings of the Industrial Revolution, remember, Britain was the first industrialized country, he was really the first one to show how a market economy 
operated through exchange and the invisible hand, the concept that he's best known for, really shows how just by the butcher trading or selling his wares、um, with the cobbler,、um, prices and quantities of shoes and of、uh, produce get determined, and this concept still underpins economics today. The other thing that struck me when I was writing about、um, Adam Smith is. He was not just an economist, as in he was a philosopher.、Um, he seemed to look at much bigger issues, perhaps, than what economists might do today. And I think you also look at him as a philosopher. Yes, that's true. And of course, having had an academic training and taught philosophy myself, these things, in a way, come、uh, naturally.、Uh, so Smith, you're right about that. Smith. Uh, his first book is the Theory of Moral Sentiments of 1759, and that's sometimes seen as、uh, a completely different kind of book, disconnected from、uh, the Wealth of Nations. And even it suggested Smith.、Uh, there were two Smiths. There's the Smith of altruism and benevolence, as it's thought of in the Theory of Moral Sentiments, and the Smith of greed and self-interest in the Wealth of Nations.、Uh, this is completely false, completely wrong conception, and it comes because of a pervasive tendency to read back into the past the preoccupations of today. So we're very obsessed today with the workings of market economy in terms of invisible hand. Invisible hand virtually plays no role whatever within the Wealth of Nations as an idea,、um, although the idea of a disaggregated economy with no one overall in charge and no one designing it is is absolutely there. And the idea that、um, beneficial outcomes, of course. Of course, negative outcomes, but also beneficial outcomes, can arise out of collective human interaction with no guiding intelligence. Is certainly there,、uh, and indeed pioneered by Smith. Now, I think the key thing about the the first book is that it points to a different conception of markets from the one that we sometimes find in contemporary academic、uh, economics.、Uh, at the moment, as you all know very well,、uh, Linda, there is、um, a tendency to see. Uh, markets in mathematical terms, in rather static terms. You know, we allocate、uh, preferences and、uh, utility functions to market participants in economics, and then we see how models behave.、Um, this isn't really Smith's view. Smith's view includes that kind of idea, but it's much more dynamic and it's much more historical. So, for Smith, a market is a、uh, is a is a thing where which is where where human behaviour is mediated by traditions and. Uh, moral standards and norms, and uh, law, uh, uh, as well as by economic incentives, and so the effect of that is to tie the two works together. The first book is about moral psychology: how does human、uh, b- behavior come to elicit moral standards and social norms? And then, of course, the next book, *The Wealth of Nations*, is about what happens when you look in political economy about how economic incentives interact、uh, between market participants against that backdrop. And it's part of the same. Overall picture, and I sometimes think that if economics today had more attention to、uh, some of these factors that Smith's already highlighted, it would be better. And it's quite interesting to see how work by people like Daniel Kahneman or Vernon Smith and、uh, experimental behavior economists is kind of rediscovering these Smithian ideas through the back door. And it won them the Nobel Prize in Economics, the highest prize, which of course did not exist in Smith's day.、Um, And absolutely, I think the way that Smith's views、um, have become transmitted into economics, I think quite a lot gets attributed to him, which is are not necessarily、um, the case. So I know that you write about this as well. But for instance, he didn't actually come up with the term capitalism. <laughs> capitalism yeah, was、right. actually first used. It was thought by、um, the author of Vanity Fair. 
Um, and in other words, it came in a novel, and it normally it was used as an antonym for. Marxism. So the first place you actually see it is when people are discussing Karl Marx and capital, and the opposite of that.、Um, but I want to probe you a bit on the worst misconceptions about Adam Smith, because you've talked about a couple of them, and one of the ones that really struck me was Adam Smith. Is not the father of laissez-faire <laughs> economics, as it was、uh, later termed. In other words, he always believed that you did need、um, institutions, regulations. In fact, one of his observations is that left to their own devices, merchants will collude, <laughs> and that was quite negative, obviously, for an efficient.、Um, Working economy. Yes, no, I think that's quite right. Uh, um, anyone who thinks、uh, Adam Smith is a laissez-faire economist、um, clearly hasn't read any Adam Smith. <laughs>、um, uh, no, that's true.、Uh, and actually, what's fascinating is the number of interventions that Smith is prepared to contemplate、uh, in order to make markets work um, uh, better and to deliver better social outcomes. So,、um, you know, he's even prepared to contemplate the Navigation Acts, which were, in some <laughs> readings, the most mercantilist sets of legislation. Um, passed in Britain certainly the 18th century and possibly ever since. This is the these, this is the legislation that requires、uh, goods to be landed in the UK for onward shipment、uh, and to be carried in uh, British. Uh, ships and of course it was the existence of the Navigation Acts that exerted so much pressure on the Dutch and the Scottish in the 17th century and and they were certainly an important factor in why Scotland and Britain and England came together to form Britain in the Union of 1707. So it is very much that、uh, wider、uh, picture. But Smith also、um, it points to a different point, which is that Smith doesn't think that markets are somehow handed down by God or.、Um, Uh, uh, something that one can't properly scrutinise or、uh, review, and he does think that what really matters is not this later word, as you say, capitalism. It's commercial society, a society in which is is freed from feudal personal dependency of one man or woman on another, and in which, as he says, everyone is in himself or herself a merchant and lives by exchanging, and that creates a kind of presumptive equality. And part of the purpose of government. As the kind of ultimate guarantor of the legitimacy of this system is to make sure that just that markets do work well, and sometimes government interventions get in the way, and sometimes they can make markets better, and that comes, for example, as we all know, with things like trust busting and other measures that can be used to try to level the playing field. And one of the things that's so fascinating now is to ask whether Smith、um, couldn't be rediscovered in terms of his attacks on crony capitalism and precisely the kind of、um, massing together of corporate interests and influence. On government that we see、uh, so much of in advanced countries today. Your point about protectionism, I want to、um, touch on now、uh, because the subtitle of your book is also "Why It Matters: Understanding Adam Smith." Adam Smith actually had quite a lot to say about the importance of free trade, the importance of not discriminating between. Imports and exports. In other words, he thought that government, if it had to levy a duty to raise revenue、um, on imports, then it should do it fairly, as he put it. You shouldn't just tax the tipple of the poor. You must also tax the tipple of the rich. In other words, he really did believe in not distorting the way that、um, the market works. And of course, today,、um, this issue about、um, protectionism. Um, whether free trade works, globalization is again、um, 
up for debate. There's quite a, a lot around this、um, in the international trade arena.、Um, so, in this area, perhaps, and perhaps others, why do you think Smith? Matters today. Well, uh, uh, you touch on a couple of key points there,、um, and let me just pick them up quickly. One is the general attack that Smith makes on crony capitalism,、uh, which I think is extremely relevant to today, and we can unpack that a little bit. But he sees that in terms of asymmetries of power and information between insiders and outsiders, in terms of the principal-agent problem. Broadly speaking, we pay our managers to run our companies, and yet they run off and do their own. Thing、uh, and and of course、um, he he is very alert to、uh, concerns about the influence of、um, massed corporate or economic interests on on government.、Um, but when it comes to trade, of course, the trade in the 18th century was a thicket. I mean, whether domestic or international, was a thicket of church and guild and state. Uh, regulation, and so Smith's idea of just clearing a lot of this stuff away, removing these impediments, and creating a freer system is almost certain to lead not just to greater economic benefit, but also to more equality and higher overall social welfare. And what is fascinating now is to think that even today, many of these lessons can still be learned. I've just written a piece in the actually the Wall Street Journal pointing out that、um, it's wrong to think of Smith as a laissez-faire economist in terms of trade、uh, as well. So Smith recognizes that. You sometimes he doesn't like it, but sometimes the crafty politicians may seek to、um, uh, inflict damage on other states in order to, in some sense, keep them honest, keep them at the table. But he's perfectly clear that if that continues for any length of time, it leads to more crony capitalism, higher domestic prices, and a reduction in competition. And actually, one of the big issues we're seeing in the UK and in the US and in several other、uh, major economies around the world is a reduction in domestic competition, and that's only. Going to get worse if we enter a trade war. On that trade point, because that is, I think, one of the、uh, the big issues、um, of the day. His disciple David Ricardo,、um, who was, I would, the father of international trade,、um, one of the most prominent classical economists, because that's really the era that we use to describe Adam Smith and those who are writing in the 18th century and the 19th century.、Um, the classical economists、um, were the ones who really laid the foundations of the subject. So David Ricardo, one of the great economists that I write about,、um, followed but refined the ideas of Adam Smith. So, in other words, well. I was I was going to tell you a little story about how David Ricardo came to become a disciple of Adam Smith. David Ricardo、um, was actually a stockbroker、um, in the vein of Nathan Rothschild. He bet the right way on the Battle of Waterloo, made a huge amount of money,、um, and then became bored, as one does when one becomes very wealthy. <laughs> so he was on holiday. He happened to pick up a copy of the Wealth of Nations while holidaying in Bath, and he. Taught himself economics, and his theory of comparative advantage, which is that countries benefit if they specialize in what they're least worst at,、um, and then exchange. Then everyone in the country、uh, not only produces more, but they get to consume more because they get to import what it is that they no longer produce. So David Ricardo took Adam Smith's ideas, and he. Joined it to the big debate of the nineteenth century, and this is a debate that had been raging on for some time. 
which was the repeal of the Corn Laws in about 1846, which marked the end of protecting agriculture、um, in Britain. In other words, heavy tariffs were lifted. The Navigation Acts that you mentioned, protectionist legislation, lost the day, and an embracing of trade and the benefits of trade came about in that era. So, in terms of what Adam Smith. And of course, this happened. I should say, not just after the death of Adam Smith, it was also after the death of David Ricardo. To me, it shows the enduring impact of ideas.、Um, so, my question to you would be: If Adam Smith looked at what happened in the mid nineteenth century, and then he looked at this revisiting of this debate today, how do you think he would view it? Well, it's such an interesting question. It's very hard to make comparisons across. Historical times. I mean, people sometimes ask me, "What would Adam Smith think about Brexit?" And I'm always happy to ask, "Well, <laughs> Ooh, you know, what, you know what would Adam Smith think about Beyonce's new single, or what's Adam Smith's position on the hijab?" Or you know, I mean, you, it's a parlor game.、Um, but you can say some things that are interesting about、uh, Smith, and I think you're absolutely right to pick up Ricardo. Ricardo is a different kind of beast from Smith in many ways, in a really interesting way.、Um, I mean, he is,、uh, as you say,、uh, a, a broker and a financial man come to the subject, and he has a very mathematical and rather disembodied view of、uh, economic. Uh, behavior and in a way, I distinguish, and indeed Keynes distinguished between Smith and the classical economists. The classical economists, Ricardo, Malthus,、mm. you know, and their followers, and then the marginists, R.A. as a neoclassical,、um, are are、uh, are a slightly different breed. And I think it's that turn to mathematics that you start to see with Ricardo that marks the difference. And、uh, the fascinating thing about and you know, Ricardo, Ricardo was such an unusual mind that he was sometimes. You now I think Broom said that he'd been dropped to Earth as if from an alien planet because he just had a different view of the world. And that was because he had such a Marvelous capacity for intellectual mathematical generalization, and in fact, he was so theoretical. I believe the parliamentarians, because he later in his life he served in Parliament,、um, coined a phrase. Um, Ricardian vice, which is Ricardo had an aptitude for simplifying things to such abstraction that they thought he was quite detached from reality. Well,、so、you can imagine he came in with lots of respect into Parliament, but I'm afraid during in, well, during his time he was a little bit.、Uh, these poor clod-hopping parliamentarians,、um, you know, you've got to love them. I mean, they're desperately trying to follow this astonishingly abstruse and intelligent man and his various uh, uh, intellectual perambulations, and、um, they're never going to be able to do that. At the same time, he. Must have appeared very remote and、yeah. um, uh, 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 altogether alien to them.、Um, no, so I think the fascinating thing, though, about if you look at the position then and now, is of course、um, there's a kind of fond imagining that.、Um, Smith had always, first of all, Smith had always been regarded as the father of economics. Well, Smith wasn't really rediscovered、um, until the free trade debates of the 1830s and 40s. I mean, at that point, people need heroes, and Smith's system of natural liberty sets him up for the first of our great misinterpretations, which is Smith as a purely free trade or purely laissez-faire economist. And as, I, as we've discussed, that's not true. But one of the things that's really interesting about、uh, that period is also that,、um, of course, it is itself. Um, quite confused about the nature of trade. I mean, but Britain has free trade、um, because it can afford to, because it's exercising essentially global hegemony over trade, and free trade is the most efficient and beneficial system for it. And it hadn't had free trade since the time of Henry the Seventh, because、um, mercantilism of different kinds it deemed was the best system for it. And I think that's a kind of a, a bit of a cautionary tale to people who kind of think that whatever your status is as a country now, or whatever your point of development, free trade is always the answer. It's a bit of a 
rebuff to the Washington consensus about free trade that dominated from the 70s, 80s and 90s uh, onwards. So that's one point. I think the other point is that when Britain did have trade, it wasn't really free trade. It was often imperial trade. Um, and of course, just at the time you're talking about, you know, Britain is also in the process of opening up China and insisting on, you know, uh, 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 the promotion of opium with catastrophic effects. And, you know, these, this imperial aspect of trade is often forgotten um, when we when we tell these um, stories about Brighton, Cobbett and, the, and uh, Gladstone and the joys of free trade. And I think it's right to be a little bit salutary about that. So Britain has a free trade moment. Um, uh, and then, of course, America um, likes to think of itself as having a free trade moment. America's really never had a free trade economy and it doesn't, it didn't, it hasn't really in, ever in the past and it doesn't now. It, it, it's run things um, uh, domestically um, on a very selective basis and, and uh, internationally um, in a way that's uh, reinforced its position as a hegemon when it's been able to. The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared and to create each one, we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and onstage talent. But behind the scenes, there's also a producer, a production team and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud, you see. No hardware needed. So you're cutting IT costs too. That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-the-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Jesse, before the break, we were talking about why the ideas of Adam Smith matters um, today. So we've, I think, covered a lot of ground. I want to now take your um, assessment of him into different parts of economics because he is known as the father of economics. Yes, let's. What a good idea. And uh, in my book, um, The Great Economists, um, I look at different areas of economics, people who've picked up the thread of thinking from Smith and also some who entirely rejected Smith <laughs> and and see how it is that these ideas have transformed the world that we live in. So we've talked um, about Adam Smith, David Ricardo, his uh, disciple. I want to now just spend a moment on Karl Marx. So Marx is the father of communism. His rise was almost a rejection of the um, capitalist system um, that was devised during the time of Ricardo and, of course, um, Adam Smith before him. He viewed the Industrial Revolution because he also lived through the Industrial Revolution, which came later to Germany than it did um, in Britain. And his views were really, I think, 
very controversial at the time, and Karl Marx didn't see a lot of success in terms of、um, seeing his views adopted during his lifetime.、Um, in fact, he was so often disappointed.、Um, I should say, in particular, with the French Revolution,、um, because it just never established the communist regime that he thought it would. He coined that very well-known phrase: "History repeats itself. The first time is tragedy; the second time as farce." And it wasn't until the 20th century, really, with the turn of the 20th century, when the Soviet Union came about, and of course, then China came about. These massive communist countries,、um, and then other socialist countries,、um, which really began to to dominate the landscape、um, in the interwar years.、Um, and then, of course, that all came to a head with the Cold War、um, in the 70s and 80s. That came after that, and then the end of the Cold War, the beginning of the 1990s. So Karl Marx has. Had this massive impact in terms of history,、um, mostly proved wrong. But there was、um, one of the、um, aspects of his theory I wanted to get your take on, which is Karl Marx originally thought that capitalism would inevitably lead to communism because his argument was that in a capitalist society. You exploit workers, and when you exploit workers, then it'll lead to crisis, like a the long depression of the nineteenth century, which is when unemployment first emerged as a word in the dictionary,、mm. and that must lead to revolt and to rebellion and to communism.、Uh, and when that didn't happen. He then changed his theory, as all economists <laughs> should do if the facts change. He then said that capitalism will lead to high levels of income inequality, and that will lead to revolt and then to communism. What would Adam Smith have made of that? Well,、um, fascinating、uh, question.、Uh, I do think that、uh, I suppose two or three things. I mean, obviously, as you say, Marx.、Um, Uh, has a theory of,、uh, as it were, revolutionary change. Because、um, he wrote in the middle of the 18th century, so the French Revolution was, in a way, something he's trying to make sense of after the event and try to fit into a a picture of his own.、Um, first thing to point, point to make really is is just how much Marx owes to Smith. So the contemporary view, the, the kind of the, the conventional view, is well, Smith and Marx are opposed, and one is about free markets, and the other is about communism and state control, and and of course.、Um, To that, in、uh, there's a degree in which that's true, but of course Marx takes an awful lot of his ideas、uh, from Smith or elaborates them from Smith. And let me just list two or three of them.、Um, the first is a lot of Marx's economics is you know, tacitly Smithian in terms of the,、uh, the way in which he thinks markets actually work and economic incentives、uh, play out.、Um, but it's also true that Marx takes、um, uh, his idea of、um, Uh, the, the, the stadial or staged development of society, which Marx ties to Hegel and the iron logic of a historical and, and historically materialist view,、um, but that idea of stadial that society evolves in stages, he takes from Smith.、Um, Smith is the pioneer of that view, and, and you find it in Book Three of the Wealth of Nations, but you also find it in the unpublished lectures on jurisprudence and, and in earlier work of Smith's. And the idea that society evolved from,、um, as it were, hunting and gathering to、um, 
from a pastoral society to agriculture and ultimately to what Smith calls commercial society, um, provides the backdrop to that theory uh, that Marx has of the uh, ultimate dictatorship of the proletariat yielding, um, uh, being yielded by a, a process of, of revolutionary change. Um, and then the other one is the idea of alienation. So Marx is often one of Marx's most as it were, prominent ideas is the idea that workers um, can uh, experience a degree of alienation from society uh, because of industrial capitalism. But this idea occurs in Smith. And Smith isn't a theorist of industrial capitalism. I mean, it's just, he's just too early. And it's fascinating to see that some of the signs that Smith, that, that are around him, but he doesn't pick up, are picked up by uh, um, the astonishingly imaginative Alexander Hamilton when he writes his report on manufactures. And, you know, he's only writing it 10 or 15 years after the um, Wealth of Nations and he's embedded in the Wealth of Nations, a thorough against Smithian. But he can see that even in America's very heavily agricultural society, there are the seeds of a massive industrial revolution and change. And it's an incredibly imaginative and far-sighted piece of thinking to think about what that society might be, what its economic demands might be, what kind of banking system it needs, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and Hamilton, you know, deserves his status as being a bit of a genius, if only for that. When you come back to Marx, though, what's fascinating about Marx is that um, is precisely that Marx um, takes this stadial theory in a way that people have found phenomenally attractive and exciting, particularly if you feel downtrodden and, uh, you know, you want, you're reaching for a theory to justify your position and your desire for revolutionary change. Um, uh, uh, um, but of course, it is a theory that's almost never played out in the terms in which he um, set for it. And so the paradox of Marx in a way is that his allegedly entirely scientific viewpoint actually is falsified by its own scientific development. What's interesting now is to look at contemporary arguments for Marxian kind, which suggest that capitalism is going to collapse of its own internal contradictions. You get them in every generation. We got them from Daniel Bell, uh, the uh, mid-20th century. You get them um, uh, from people. Uh, Piketty, in some respects, can be read as a theorist of um, the inherent instability of uh, uh, capitalism. But, of course, the truth is that um, um, a market economy, forget capitalism, but a market economy of the modern sense, a commercial society, just has enormous um, resources and flexibility. And Smith sees it in a very Darwinian, pre-Darwinian way, a way that Darwin rather learns from as a product of a kind of evolved development of this staged kind. And I think the two are tied together in a way that explains why capitalism has the resources continuously to evolve beyond the point at which it can uh, collapse and, and potentially to learn, one would love to think, not always truly, one would love to think to learn from its mistakes. And there have been, I think, quite a lot of um, mistakes as well as uh, refinements of the theory. You're not kidding. <laughs> That's the uh, truth. Through the last uh, 250 years or so since uh, since the time of Adam Smith. Um, let's move to another contemporary um, issue. And this goes back to something that you mentioned um, in terms of Smith's thinking around collusion, which mm. is still relevant today. So there are different forms of collusion. We tend to think of collusive behavior as being not very good for the market, for the economy. And monopoly, which is when firms have market power, that is when that tends to happen. But in the recent meeting at Jackson Hole, which is a gathering of central bankers and economists, um, there's quite a lot of talk of monopsony, which mm. is the equivalent in labor markets where employers have 
market power. As in, they don't just have to accept、uh, the market; they can influence the labor market. And when you have monopsony, just like when you have monopoly, you end up with wages that don't match a worker's output. In the same way that when you have monopolies, prices are higher than they ought to be. So, Joan Robinson, one of the great economists I write about,、um, she first came up with this concept of monopsony in the 1930s. She was writing, of course, during the Great Depression. She was a disciple of John Maynard Keynes, and one of the fascinating little tidbits I discovered, Jesse, writing about her, is that she was one of the five. Um, people entrusted to review Keynes's、um, seminal work, *The General Theory*. She was also married to another one of those and had an affair with another one. So three out of five, I would say,、uh, had、uh, some Robinsonian type of influence.、Um, but Joan Robinson. Was part at that time. She later on became much more enamored of Marxism that we just discussed.、Mm. But at that time, in the 1930s, she was a Keynesian, and Keynesianism was really an argument for why the、uh, market economy did not operate perfectly. So it wasn't just the fear that.、Um, Firms might collude, and you must look out for that, and perhaps regulate it. It was this argument that, in the except in the long run, which of course Keynes、uh, famously remarked, doesn't really matter、uh, because we're all dead. <laughs>、um, it's really the short and medium run that we ought to care about. So, if markets are imperfect, then you ought to expect things like monopsonies or monopolies, some type of collusive behavior that really distorts markets. Yes. How would this sit in the Smith sense of、um, of the market economy? Um. Uh, uh, well, uh, Smith fascinatingly, um, again, is often opposed to Keynes. The caricature being that Smith is the free marketeer and Keynes is the state interventionist. Um, and of course, that's um quite wrong. Not just on the Smith side, but also on the Keynes side. I mean, Keynes, um, was a liberal in his economics as well as in his politics, and uh, Keynes did not believe that uh, absent. Conditions of depression,、uh, countries、um, shouldn't run balanced、uh, budgets.、Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Keynes. You know, when you're in a, when you're in a situation where markets are clearly stuck in, stuck in secular rut and unable to clear, and、um, and、uh, there is enormous social deprivation and loss as a result, then then of course you might need to go to extreme、uh, fiscal measures,、um, roughly analogous to the kind of extreme monetary measures we've seen in the last ten years.、Um, but that wasn't the steady state for Keynes, and people kind of forget this when they talk about Keynesian finance. Keynes is a kind of universal genius, and、um, it's fascinating to think that actually he's anticipated by Smith. So Smith talks about a situation、um, because he's such a particularist; he's so careful about particular markets. Smith talks about labour market, herring market, market for bills of exchange, uh, 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 several other markets, market for corn.、Um, and so Smith recognises that in the labour market,、uh, wages can be trapped in a stagnant、uh, way, and that、um, you know this is a market phenomenon in the same way that he. Recognizes that you can get, you know, Veblen and and Geffen goods, you know, where、um, the 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 demand goes up as the price goes up. You know, he's he's, he's alert. Like to, absolutely,、yeah. he's he's alert to.、Um, 
to market uh, uh, differences. Um, but of course, he's also, because he's a particularist about markets as well as a, able to theorise generally about them, um, he's also aware of, of what we would consider market imperfections. And one of the things that's fascinating about um, the period that you describe, uh, uh, the period of the general theory and of Joan Robinson and uh, uh, Hicks and others, two or three things. One is the way in which... Um, Keynes's ideas are distorted by the professional requirement to mathematize them. So one of the things that um, Hicks does is to um, take this amazingly wide-ranging and foundational idea of uncertainty that Keynes has and turns it into um, probabilistic estimates of risk because those are the things that you can quantify over and that you can fit into a, uh, uh, an economic theory. And that actually is a mistake. That's just not the way Keynes thought about these things. Keynes animal didn't, spirits, for well, instance. He did not quantify them. Absolutely. You can't quantify animal spirits. And in a way, animal spirits are precisely the kind of human behavior behavioral aspects that Smith is fully aware of. So Smith and Keynes are on the same side of the argument here, and and um, Hicks and the latter-day Keynesians um, uh, uh, are not. Um, but, but the wider point also, which is that um, markets um, may not merely may not clear, but there may be structural imperfections in them that um, uh, 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 are not catered for in the economic theories is a very important one. And let me just pick up a little point, which is there's a kind of standard way of theorizing in economics now, which is to take a um, imagined um, frictionless or perfect market with uh, you know um, no uh, uh, information, you know perfect information, no transaction costs, uh, or complete markets, and all the rest of it, um, and then use that as a standard from which to judge how markets would behave in some less perfect way. Um, this isn't Smith's way. I think this is a general equilibrium way of thinking of it. And I think it's actually in contrast to Smith's view, which is much more dynamic and in some respects much more in contemporary terms Austrian. What's interesting about that, though, is that, of course, we've now had to go through an entire process of discovering through the work of Joe Stiglitz and others that once you assume sensible frictionless costs, none of these assumed benefits of welfare, um, uh, uh, Pareto optimality and the like, these technical results actually hold. So we've had to go back and kind of unlearn some of the lessons that we picked up. Up when people were going through this process of theorizing. It's almost a ladder that has to get kicked out of the way in order to be able to understand that not every market is like the foreign exchange market and markets are often very, very different from one another. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I want to spend our last few moments um, more on the personal aspect of the great economists. Um, so I'll, I'll let you start. Um, in terms of Adam Smith, one of the things that um, one of the many fascinating things that I found about him found out about him when I was writing about him is that um, he got to put his economics into practice because he was the Commissioner of Customs for Scotland as his final uh, final job, and I found it fascinating that he was able to take what he was writing about and really um, apply it. And the other thing I found quite fascinating about Smith was that he was an eccentric. Um, so he had terrible handwriting and he had to dictate the wealth of nations, um, allegedly while banging his head against the wall <laughs> um, yeah, uh, or muttering to himself as he walked down the street. Yeah, um, would, yeah. What's your favorite personal anecdote about Smith that you discovered? Um, well, it, it, Smith isn't as eccentric as, as people might think. I mean, there are amazing stories. There's a famous story about him talking to Charles Townsend, who was one of the great politicians of the 1760s. Um, and falling, was Chancellor the Czech, 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 Czech
and falling into a tanner's pit. And there's another story about Smith buttering a slice of bread and then putting it into the teapot and pouring out a cup of tea and complaining how awful it was. So there are these stories about Smith. But actually, I think he was much less, um, almost certainly much less absent-minded than that the caricature suggests. Um, I mean, Smith was a very effective administrator of the University of Glasgow um, for several years and widely venerated not just for his teaching but for his administration. Um, he did have, he didn't have bad handwriting, good handwriting, but very slow, a kind of looping slow script. And so the suggestion is that he had an, an amanuensis to write out The Wealth of Nations um, and that he rubbed his his pomaded wig against the um, wall, um, uh, as it were, uh, as he referred. I don't think he was hitting it against the wall, but uh, but rubbing it. I mean, we don't know. This is all <laughs> secondhand. Um, what's fascinating, though, about that period, and one of the things that I that I I love is is actually not just Smith himself, but his his reaction, his his relationship with David Hume, who I mm. venerate and regard as one of the two greatest philosophers ever to have written in the English language, along with Hobbes. And um, Hume, um, you know, Smith is uh, austere and private, and Hume is public and um, incredibly funny. And uh, 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 one of the joys of writing about Smith in, in my book has been to be able to include some of these wildly funny moments with Hume. There's a marvellous moment where Hume is uh, Hume had a life which um, was extraordinary. I mean, in his 20s, he wrote probably the greatest work of philosophy ever written, or one of the two or three, um, uh, The Treatise of Human Nature. Um, then he tried to recast some of the same ideas. That was quite successful, but not successful enough. Then he tried to recast the ideas into some essays. They were really quite successful. Then he writes A History of England that's an absolute smash hit, and um, sells everywhere extensively. And his publisher, Strawn, comes to him and says, um, will you write a seventh volume of this history? And 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 Hume says, no, I, I will not write. He says, I'm too old, uh, too fat, too lazy, and too rich. And I think that that thought is one which many authors will have had when writing to their publishers, um, or wish they could have had, if you like. And it just illustrates Hume's natural um, wit. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Um I suppose I'll finish with a rather, I think, humorous quote that I came across when I was um, writing about uh, Joan Robinson that we discussed a moment ago, whose work on monopsonies and how employers with market power could end up. Um, this model could explain why wages are so low today. And her work is also being looked at once again. Um, but I think she would caution anyone from looking at economic theory or models and looking for ready-made answers. And what she said was, the purpose of studying economics is not to find ready-made answers, but rather to uh, be able to avoid being deceived by economists. <laughs> yes. Well, that's very, that's a very acute thought. And it also points to something that the practitioner understands, which sometimes isn't understood in the general public, which is that um, really good economists um, are not just theorists of models. They're also very careful um, uh, in attending to the nature of particular markets and um, fitting a set of policy prescriptions quite closely to the specific facts of the matter. And um, that's something that I wish we had more of uh, in our political economy today. Well, I think in your day job, Jesse, we'll be looking for that. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse Norman, MP for Hereford and South Herefordshire and author of Adam Smith, What He Thought and Why It Matters. And I'm Linda Yu, author of The Great Economists, How Their Ideas Can Help Us Today. Thank you very much for listening to this week's Intelligence Squared podcast. Thank you.